everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. Well, uh, that is officially another Rice football season in the books, and it was a strange one. We, we just, we're just going to repeat that. We'll loop that at the end of every year. Yeah. <laughs> no, no normal seasons. This is not how we do things around here, apparently. And everything else about Rice is weird. Why not our football team? But, hey, they went out with a win, so that happened at least. Yeah, that's good. I, I approve of wins. We could I we could do more of them. I'm cool with that, too. Yeah, no, that'd be great. <laughs> and it, 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 it you know, I, I appreciate that at least the, uh, aside from the strange whatever happened in 2020, but even then, even the last game, we were still kind of remembering Marshall. So Marshall kind of put a solve over all 2020. But in, in each of Bloomgren's, I guess, three of the first four, he's gone out with a win. So we, we, we have some you know, sweet memories of of putting the, the middle part of the season behind us. Yeah, I mean, they're not always uh, leaving a, a, a great last memory of the season, but not a not a horrible one, at least, uh, which yeah. considering how like in the aggregate these seasons have gone is is a nice uh, kind of parting gift. I especially appreciated this one because it very much looked like Rice was just going to do the same like being in a competitive game and then like just make enough mistakes to lose it at the end that they've done uh, like four times in the last month or so in this one. And they did it. They came back and won it instead, which was great. Yeah. It made me happy. I think we learned a, a little bit and I do, I got, I got lots. I have thoughts. We haven't, you and I haven't got sat down and talked rice football for, for two weeks. So I have, I have lots <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to unload, but I will say a couple things first off the top, kind of lay out our our schedule for the next couple weeks as we get into December. Um, have you this? I haven't asked you this before. This is a deeply personal question. What's your opinion on Christmas music and when it's allowed to be played? How long have you been listening? Um, Since like the week before Thanksgiving, I haven't gone full on like my Christmas playlist is my standard playlist. Uh, even yet, like that'll probably happen in the next week or so. But I like broke the seal of listening to Christmas music the week before Thanksgiving. I'm not a right after Halloween person because I like to spend some time, uh, you know, mourning the loss of spooky season. But I think uh, I am not a absolutely strictly no Christmas music before before Thanksgiving type of person. See, this is funny. I think every year for me, it moves up a week. <laughs> Because I don't remember being the, like, as soon as the turkey is, you know, in your tummy, you have lights up person. But, like, that was definitely me, like, last year, the year before. And this year, I rationalized putting the the tree up, uh, what was it, November 7th? Because we needed to take a picture for a Christmas card. Ah, there you we go. We haven't sent yeah. the card out yet. It's all about efficiency. <laughs> we took the picture. Uh, that was an aside, but on the Christmas December thought train, this is what got me here for those listening. First off, if you stuck through another season with us, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, please do rate, review, subscribe, whatever podcast app of your choice you listen to. Uh, tell people you uh, at least appreciate what we're saying or tell us even, you know, we, this is a medium where Carter and I talk to each other and we like each other. That's great. But sometimes we don't get to hear from y'all directly unless you reach out to us. So let us know what you like or don't like. That would be nice. Uh, and then on the schedule front next week, 
we will do is this the third annual carter i believe it is the third annual it's a tradition now yeah it's three times. Well, we've done it twice, I guess. Three three years in a row, the Roosties, which is our spin on... Uh, how do we frame this? Postseason awards with a, a twist? Yeah, like at least attempting to do something, I don't know, slightly more... Uh, I don't know. Not the, not the same stuff that everybody does. Yeah, we, we update the... We refresh the list every year. I, I believe last year there was a favorite halfback or fullback memory or something like that. <laughs> the fullbacks made an appearance. They, maybe they will this year again. We'll see. So we'll do that in the week uh, after that or roughly-ish. It, it, we're in COVID time and holiday time, so time is fuzzy. But after that, it'll be the early signing period, and, and we'll recap the Owls 2022 class, which has uh, somewhere around a dozen-ish probably kids that they'll sign or, or around that ballpark. So that'll be nice influx of talent. And then we'll probably take a little bit break and uh, we'll let football season breathe and and then we'll move on to the next one. But before we move on to the next one today, uh, Louisiana Tech, which we'll break down and then kind of some big picture season thoughts. I know we've talked about some of these things. Uh, we talked about uh, coaching decisions and who is here and who is not and transfers and lots of big ticket items. So I should probably stop uh meandering and we should probably get to the thick of it before we're here too long yeah um how like deeply fitting that uh rice's 2021 season ended with another game where something just utterly befuddling happened at quarterback um and this one went better than pretty much all of the other ones did i think uh in in terms of when the change happened in the middle of a game but um T.J. McMahon um, came in during this game and uh, threw a late interception that seemed like it would have sealed the deal, but then uh, led two great drives to uh, basically win the game with like less than half of the fourth quarter remaining. So, yeah, I don't know if you saw this, but I, I did kind of a a kind of a reaction piece after the game, kind of summing it up. Uh, entering the Louisiana Tech game, Rice was one in thirty one. Under Bloomgrim, oh, when I they trailed, yeah. when they trailed at any point in the fourth quarter by any amount, if Rice had a fourth quarter deficit, they were one in thirty-one. That that one win was a nine-point come from behind victory over Prairie View yep. in Bloomgrim's first game, which included the walk-off field goal by NFL champion punter Jack Fox. <laughs> My distinct memory, I was at that game, so I didn't see this live on the broadcast, but yes, I have a very distinct memory of, yep. of, yeah, of the camera. Like, what was going on? It was a, if you don't remember, the camera from the end zone, so the kick was into the end zone by the R room, and the camera showing the kick was right on the Patterson uh, side. And so they, it was a full 120-yard camera view of the try, and which I've never I, seen before or since. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember if it, like, if they just didn't zoom in at all or if they tried to zoom in but did it very poorly. Uh, but it was, it yeah. was something. That, that was the beginnings of ESPN+. Plus, Like, one of the first it seasons. It was, yeah. Yeah, so... 
and and working out those games. So that's the last time Rice won a game when they were trailing in the fourth quarter at all, period. Uh, so that was a monkey they needed to get off their back. They did that. And uh, I got to be honest, when McMahon threw that interception, I think it was like, like seven or eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, I immediately started turning my my postgame pieces into dissecting what happened after what that would have been loss number six in a row, five in a row, fifth loss in a row, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I gave up. I will be honest. But they proved me wrong. And I'm so happy being proven wrong uh, when they win. That's the actually the bet, only kind of wrong. I'm happy to be proven in that case. So, yeah, TJ McMahon coming off the bench. I if, if for those who haven't read it yet, I wrote a 2000 word deep dive on the Rice quarterback situation because I started going and it just kept getting longer. And I'm like, actually, this is even more complicated than it sounds. So I just kept going. Um, but the TJ McMahon piece. So I think it's interesting. And here's a fun tidbit. You know how every recruit has their their huddle highlight video. And they're varying. Some kids are better at others at getting short, sweet, and to the point. But most of them are somewhere around like three to five minutes. Yeah. And obviously, you put the big play at the front, right? The first play of every highlight video of an offensive player is like a breakaway 80-yard touchdown. Just like, yeah. period. If it's a defensive player, it's an interception or a sack phone. Like, it's the best play of your career. TJ McMahon's first highlight from his highlight film is a fake field goal. Like, I kid you not, <laughs> that you, you turn on the highlight film for a quarterback and you see them attempting a field goal and you're just like, I have no idea what I'm watching. And then you see him take it and roll and you're like, oh, it's him. So the fact that they attempted the fake field goal in this game and he came up one yard short, would it just kind of bummed me out because of that. Yeah. I was already for the story and, and it didn't work. But yeah, McMahon. Now, how many times has Rice gotten to their fourth string quarterback in a season? Uh, Green would have been fourth string in 2018, so that's once. Yeah. McMahon was fourth this year. I don't think we've gotten to fourth. But well, do you count Parker Towns in 2019 at LSU? I think so. Ugh, yeah, I guess yeah, so. Yeah, so I think three. They or four only years. got to three last year, but we can give them a pass. Only for five games yeah. for managing to get to three quarterbacks in five games. So that, that's that's, that's still an achievement. Oh yes, a very depressing achievement. Yeah, and I noted after or in my post game notes from the Louisiana Tech game, this was the sixth game out of twelve this year that Rice started and ended the game with a with two different people playing quarterback. This was the first time it was actually a coach's Ooh. decision. The other yeah. five were injuries. Um, and you credit credit the offensive coaching staff because it worked. If you win, I don't know. Like, that works. Uh, should we have a quick aside? What or Do you have any, like, uh, I don't know if panic meters, right? But what's kind of your, your read on Luke McCaffrey um, after, I guess, this Louis, getting benched in the Louisiana Tech game and just kind of big picture? We kind of talked to him uh, yeah. In the preseason, I almost said Bill Connolly, but Phil Steele was on this podcast and he hyped up McCaffrey as one of the best players in Conference USA. And he wasn't one of the best quarterbacks in Conference USA. He didn't really play. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm not ready. Like, in hindsight, we probably all should have pumped the brakes a little bit more just in terms of like, this was a guy who was not a polished passer um, when he played at Nebraska. And uh in in that in a much more quarterback friendly offense uh 
let's say. And, and that's the key. That's the key, I think. Right. Because if you watch his games from Nebraska, yes, it's a quarterback friendly offense, but the, the, the offense was built around him. Like he was a lot of running and a little bit of passing. I, you go look at the attempts he had in games. We're talking like 12 to 15, maybe not 30, uh, not, not any 40, 50 attempt games, which we saw from Mike Collins sometimes. So I'll, I'll interject to say I have zero absolutely zero concerns whatsoever uh, i think the talent is there i think you saw from how the how the game played out against louisiana tech especially you had the the bubble screen that turned into a backwards pass which was unfortunate and just kind of the play sequencing and the drives in the second quarter it it was run run it, it was back to let's not let mccaffrey make a mistake and let's play ultra conservative because we don't think he's ready. And yeah, and that's kind of so that's my read. And I don't think he maybe we were hopeful that he could come in like what late June. It was like end of June that he got he committed. So we didn't get on campus till like end of June, beginning of July. And I think just this system is the scheme is complicated. And I think if you want to have a a quip uh, or a, you know, a beef about you should find a way to get the most one of the most talented athletes in your program on the football field. I'm 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 willing to have that conversation. But yeah, I think his development as a quarterback, I'm I'm not worried in the slightest. Yeah, no, I thought like I get, he's got like, what did he technically enter this year with four years of eligibility left? So he's still he got another three. Yeah. So like uh, assuming he's here going forward. Um, and and uh, all presumption seems to be that he will be here at least for next year. Um, I think he he's out of free moves at this point. So I think he would have to sit if he transferred again, since he is not a graduate. Um, yeah, I, I think for them to have had any success with him at quarterback this year, once it was clear that he, you know, he just was not ready yet. Um, you would have had to just sort of completely and utterly restructure the offense, which is not something that you can do in June, first of all. Um and or, or, well, I don't know. Southern Miss rebuilt their entire offense in, in a bye week. Well, yeah. So there are teams. They did so, win one football game. Who did they, yeah. they beat? Uh, they beat Tech, actually. Louisiana Tech. Yeah. Uh, which we're Oof. seeing may not be all that great of an achievement. But uh, teams have done that before. Uh, basically, like put in a like full time Wildcat offense with like a. You know, first of all, it helps to have a Frank Gore Jr. type playmaker to make that happen. Um, but uh, notice teams don't generally choose to do that. It also is not... kind of an indication of full on wide scale panic. Like, oh, we yeah. have to tear it down by the studs. It's not like working. the only time I can ever think of that happening again was like, um, I think it was late in, in, you know, who's last year at Baylor. And they just had all their quarterbacks get hurt, and they basically put in like a wildcat option offense for like their goal game, basically. Oh, what was it? A uh, uh, Zeno, Caleb Zeno? Is it? Oh, I, I don't I remember. I, I, I'm completely blanking on the guy's name. Jacob Zeno. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Scout, scout team quarterback turned starter turned. I think he got hurt in like the last game or the bowl game or something, and then they had no other choice but to yeah. go. Uh, so yeah. and and also it's not something you do if you have what turned out to be, yeah what turned out to be in Rice cases Rice's case three other quarterbacks who can actually execute 
like a real offense with real with a real passing game in it more effectively than that guy that you would have to basically turn the offense into a full-time wildcat offense for also no team is ever going to do that for a full season like that's not how that like if you tried to do that for a full season it would not work like unless you were literally somebody that was you know if if you had like a real option offense or something like that but that's not it's not something you do on the fly not something you're going to stall and be successful with for a full season so i'm not going to say they should have just scrapped everything to design a wildcat offense around Luke McCaffrey. And again, especially not like they, it turned out they had other guys, several other guys, in fact, who could at least at times, all of them did look pretty effective running the offense. So. Hey, Shoki Etrus, the freshman that Rice brought in in this, uh, the I guess this current signing mm-hmm. class up until the new one, he can spin it. Like he can throw it pretty good. So I'm, I'm just saying they could have gone to five. I think. Oh, uh, man. Let's, that, let's not. Actually, I, I apologize for speaking that into the universe. We are currently back on. If, if I told you right now, two quarterbacks will take snaps for Rice next year, and that's it, period, with no context. You take that, like, signed seal. Yeah, absolutely. Letter, right? Like, I don't care um, how it happens. I don't care who they are. Just two. Yeah. So I think let's see where McCaffrey is. Uh, nine months from now when he's actually had a real off season in the program to learn this offense. And if he's not even able to run, like it's one thing to say, okay, the guy doesn't have a full mastery of the offense. Like say um, Tom Stewart did when he was starting to, you know, get comfortable during the 2019 season. Like that's fine. You can pare down your offense a little bit to accommodate a guy who doesn't have full mastery of the system. And if they're not able to at least do that with McCaffrey by next September, then I think it's fair to have a lot of questions. But in retrospect, it it is totally understandable that he would just was not ready to be an effective quarterback, like actual Ooh. passer in this offense. I was wrong uh, this year. I was wrong. Because you were talking about, you know, McCaffrey's understanding of the schemes at quarterback. And if you can't do that, I'm like, well, then you have to go the Giovanni, the Giovanni Johnson route. So TJ McMahon technically was the fifth string quarterback entering the season because <laughs> Giovanni was in yeah. front of him. Yeah, true. Which Giovanni continues to impress me. This is a complete aside as a side to the a side of the aside, but he looks so good as a pass catcher, uh, like continues to impress me on scout team. It's you know when you're watching a guy and he's clearly like above the level of competition when you watch the high school tapes and you're like you're playing with people that are just not as good as you. That's how it feels like watching Giovanni play against Rice's scout team, which is good. But he's a brand new wide receiver (laughs) just converted over from quarterback. So I'm not saying that he gets you know quickly absorbed into the the starters, but he looks really good for what it's. I mean that'd be yeah that'd be a good sign for next year, but. Yeah. Um, so I, I just don't have any idea what and it's not even like I sit there and look at what happened with Rice's quarterbacks here and say, like, what were they even doing? Like they made horrible decisions this whole time. Like like the what this coaching staff did makes no sense. Like all of it kind of made sense at the time. And like I said, all I mean, at least three of the four guys had games or extended portions of games where they looked really good. I mean, Wiley Green led a giant upset win of UAB. Like, Jake Constantine was, like, 
they got the most out of him. And he, like, as much as he was there for, like, several losses that they had, like, he was, like we said multiple times, he was generally not the problem in those losses. So, like, it was just weird. Yeah. And it just strange. And the, the other thing from the Louisiana Tech game that I thought was interesting, uh, shout out to Cameron Montgomery. Who had a yeah had a seventy yard touchdown run where he looked like he was shot out of a cannon. Uh, it was uh, and I an aside. He's crazy fast. He made a safety miss in just wide open field, but good move on him. It wasn't. It was just kind of a subtle hip shift and ran past him, which was great. Yeah, I mean, the there's, blocking there's on that the Cam, play. There's the Cam Montgomery we have been waiting for. His like the theory in practice. Yeah. And then I, then I was the the line and the tight ends opened up. Both of the linebackers at the second level had somebody in their face, and Cam got six yards deep into the field before he even had to decide which way he was going to go with the ball and who he was going to juke. Yeah. So that was. There's always a couple line. of couple yeah. of running plays like that every year with this staff. That for a brief moment you're like, okay, Mike Bloomgren, I see you. I see why you like running this offense because. When there's like nine bodies in there to block and everybody moves in concert and they all just nail their blocks all at once, it is a beautiful thing to watch. It is very hard to make that happen. Consistently, yes. Yeah. But when it happens, it is just an absolute thing of beauty. Yeah. So that that was wonderful. Uh, Obviously, there was a, a very limited use of Jordan Myers in this game. He was still a little bit banged up. Ari Broussard. Uh, got a bit more run, not too much. But Kalen Griffin has kind of at this point been phased out of the offense, which is a bummer with the expectations that yeah. we kind of came up with. I, I still think, I think that kind of understanding and ball control were always kind of things with him. But mm-hmm. I think that's something that what we've seen, Wiley Green was the starting quarterback to start this season, and he might have been the poster child for making bad decisions with the football for this team for a couple years, honestly. But he got out of the doghouse and clearly and became a team captain. So I'm not not writing out Kalen Griffin. This this just wasn't his year. Uh, but yeah, Cameron Montgomery leading you in in rushing yards, even with a touchdown. That's Rice needs to find. Um, a yeah, no, find that it, that is season. not a sustainable thing yeah. going forward, especially though. if you want to re- run this offense. So, but you know, off you scored 35 points. I'm I'm done. I I have nothing else critical to say no, about the offense yeah. from that day. Uh, the defense, I thought this was this was pretty cool for me because I think the defense was more or less that was what we threw our hands up with this year. Like in years past, yeah. it's just like yep, I don't know exactly. the offense; they can't do it. I give up. That was the defense this year. I the, the loss of uh, of their big man up front, Braylon Carroll, was debilitating. I didn't really expect it to be, but that's yeah, kind of no. What it was. I didn't think it would be that bad. But it was the defense in in this game that intercepted. Well, I'm pulling it up here. Uh, two, their two. It wasn't two of their final three drives. No, it was interception to end the game. That was the the big one. But yeah, it was. I'm pulling it up. I'm not crazy. Yeah, we had a punt after, uh, and then two interceptions. Yeah, I'm. This yeah. is not good podcast content. The last the last three drives for Louisiana Tech were interception, punt, interception. Yes, that's what I was trying to get to. It was not good uh, if you were Louisiana Tech. So, yeah, the, the fact that the defense 
close the door uh, and I a, sh- a shout out to Gabe Taylor getting the interception on the 14th anniversary of his brother's death. I know that ended up that moment ended up all yeah. over sports center and such. That was pretty cool. Extremely for, cool. For him. And uh, he was, even though the, the Sean Taylor, uh, I guess, did they retire his Jersey? The ceremony they had this year was on a Sunday at like, they announced on like Thursday that they were going to do it. It was, that was an entirely different conversation, but uh, Gabe was able to make it up for that, uh, that ceremony. And and it meant a lot to him. He told me, so that's kind of cool, kind of a a neat little undercurrent of the story. It was nice to see just the defense make plays. Like they weren't perfect. They gave up 31 points, but when they needed to slam the door, they slammed the door. I thought it was interesting that one of the guys who got an interception for Rice was Terrence Ellis, who I don't know if we've said his name on this podcast before. Maybe I, I don't ever. think we have. Yeah, he was a I guess he was a played primarily defensive end, you know, what do you call outside linebacker ish, whatever yeah. that in in between position that's mostly with his hand in the dirt at Shadow Creek and walked on at Rice. Uh, he intercepted J.D. Head, the Louisiana Tech quarterback, who is the quarterback at Pearland. So huh. the Pearland, the Pearland crime in that game, which I thought was funny, which, you know, I don't know. It's just a, a fun note for him. Nice to see another guy get an interception for Rice that wasn't Naeem Smith kind of gobbled up all of them, I feel like, this year. But they kind of shared the love. And Gabe, I think Gabe had a couple. So, yeah, it, nice to see that. We know this defense still has it. They can. They won, actually. Three of Rice's four wins were sealed by the defense in the fourth quarter and on almost the final play. <laughs> yeah. Um, had the this was victory this was, against Texas Southern, I think. That was it. Was the good, uh, the good version of the Rice defense that we saw this year, which was still not as good as we wanted to be, not as, as good as it had been. But... Um, they had 10 tackles for loss and four sacks in this game, which is great. Six passes defensed, uh, three interceptions. It was a defense that gave up, like, if you go look at the full stats, like, the total yardage was dead, was basically dead even in this game. Rice ended up, uh, since they ran fewer plays, Rice outgained them on a per-play basis by about a yard, which is a pretty healthy margin. Um, the defense gave up five and a half yards a play, which is not great, but it's not bad. Um, at some point, like it, you know, 427 on 77 plays is really not that bad, but also facing 77 plays, like at some point, it's kind of on you for not getting off the field. And we but, saw that earlier in this game, yeah. especially the first drive. Rice had so many opportunities to get off the field and they just couldn't do it. And that was that was frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, they just, when they absolutely had to, when the big moments came up, the same as they did in wins earlier in the season, they got it done. They made the interceptions, they got the big plays, uh, and they helped get Rice this win. So, um, you'd like to see the consistency grow going forward. They get, uh, a lot of the same playmakers back next year, although that number seems to be dwindling just a little bit. Not a lot of the transfer portal entries have been um, like huge contributors for Rice thus far. Although, but uh, losing both Antonio Montero and Desmond Baker uh, does sting a little bit. So, yes, and so I think that's a good. So, a couple kind of big picture things is I guess we kind of transition to the season as a whole. So, first I want to hit on the transfers since you brought it up. So far, 
you know, and, you know, that could change as at time of recording what we've seen from most of the transfer and entries departing Rice has been grad transfer players that a good chunk of them were either fringe, maybe fringe starters or guys that were probably looking to, to get a bit more playing time, maybe not fit. Um, had, had gotten their degrees and moved on. I, I, I know August Pete uh, is one of those guys who I, I think you like, but probably not somebody that would, um, I don't know, would be core to this offense. I think you saw yeah. Seth Patterson kind of take over that role, honestly, at the end of the season, which was really nice. So a couple guys like that, uh, Derek Ferraro, uh, I saw that he put his name in. I guess he did make one start this year in relief of an injured Javon Wolford. The, the younger tackles that they have, I know they're really high on. You mentioned the linebackers departing. The the three linebackers Rice signed in the 2021 class. DJ Arkansas got some time at Viper. Aiden Ciano got two starts to end the season. And then Kenny Seymour is another guy that played, I think, a little bit special teams, but they like him a lot. So this is nice because when we did this song and dance, I think there were a good chunk of, of transfers going out in 2018 after Bloomberg's first season, which were mostly bailiff recruits at that time. And we kind of yep. sat here scratching our heads and said, OK, uh, Crum and Roe Wilkins are gone. Who is going to play defensive tackle? Um, I don't know. <laughs> that was kind of maybe Elijah Garcia, question mark. And he ended yeah. up being pretty good. So he kudos did. to Elijah Garcia. But uh, at least some healthy depth, I think at that point so i'm i'm not terribly concerned as of now yeah like i'm definitely bummed to lose and i i don't i certainly don't mean to to cast any aspersions on montero here who has you know basically been a four-year starter at this point and has had a very successful rice and kicked an extra point and he he has a better uh, career extra point completion percentage than i believe colin riccatelli and christian van sickle um but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I the, of the two, I am more bummed to lose Baker, who is like a bit who is, you know, sort of a rangier playmaker and someone you could see like really making an impact going forward. Um, but like you said, that is a position where there are obvious like kind of next man up candidates. So there are some positions where, you know, if you lost uh, huge contributors, you'd be like, crap, what are they going to do? And there are less of those positions now than there were, you know, two or three years ago, which is great. Um, but I, I'm certainly not saying, ah, the, like, you know, losing those guys is fine. They're not going to miss them at all. But I'm bummed and I'm sad, but I'm not devastated. Yeah. Yeah. This is not like fair. a this is not, a, you know, as much as we celebrated those players and their decisions and fully supported them. This is not a losing Blaze Aldridge or to jump to another sport, losing Nancy Mulkey type of transfer transfer thing. This is a, oh, that sucks. Not a, oh, crap, what are we going to do? Yeah, I also, I pulled this up the other day. I don't know if I could find it on the fly, but I did a comparison. I think it was right after the 2019 season, looking at the transfer portal and net where Rice fit in the the mix. But the if you can go by the numbers and who Rice has had, Rice is has overwhelmingly benefited from the transfer portal. So they're going to lose these guys. And I have uh, full confidence they'll pick out, pick up another couple additions that get a uh, running back, get a running, get a running back. They got a Juco guy coming in. Who's, who's got some moves. So yeah, they got at least one, but yeah, a couple, please. Yeah, no, I I think, I think you, you, you really need at least two here. Like, 
Yeah. So th- they'll get some guys. I mean, and w- I'm, I'm just thinking back. That was the same year that Rice got uh, Goose and uh, Nick Leverett, who made his first start in the National yeah. Football League last weekend and got the Good game ball. That's which awesome. Is awesome. After being a practice squad guy. Uh, yeah. So Rice is fine. I, they also traded out the uh, Aaron Cephas situation and, and picked up Brad Rosner, which if Brad Rosner, you know, getting out of the field more, that's a net win. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Suka, Charlie Booker, that's probably a push. It lost Jackson Tyner, got Tom Stewart that year. Um, added Adam Nunez as a punter, who actually Adam Nunez and Christian Van Sickle might go down as two of the more important uh, additions for, for what they got. Yeah. Um, I guess we did have Chris Barnes, but yeah, so Rice, Rice is going to be fine on the portal. Uh, not too concerned that they're on, on kind of the season front from the, I guess we're talking about a bunch of defensive guys. Kind of big picture, if you were to, maybe kind of we can do this in two parts, kind of like if we were to kind of grade the performance, I guess against our expectations coming into the season, we'll start with the defense of kind of how they did versus our expectations and then kind of put our our outlook kind of going forward. Uh, so if if I were going to, since I thrust this upon you with about, what, what four seconds notice, <laughs> um, if I were going to kind of grade the defense as a whole, I think I'd probably put it at a like a a C plus B minus. I, I think they definitely get a solid passing grade because, like we mentioned, three of those four wins that Rice had, they made the last play that won the game. So they weren't perfect, but they definitely had their moments. I think the first two seasons under Bloomgren, we were just begging and begging that they would force tor- turnovers at all. <laughs> like they had like yeah. what, a three interception season. In 2018 or 2019, something like that, uh, it was or six, something like they had a woeful number of turnovers. So they made turnovers this year and those made a difference that they did not always make their tackles. They got let people get behind them, but they made some key plays. And there's a lot of guys. I'm I'm sky high on Jordan Dunbar. And I really, really like what Sean Fresh had to, to their contributions. Once we get to Braylon Carroll back that I going forward for the future. I I'm not writing off this season as a blip because I think the problems that I saw were scarier than man. You had a bad year. Like, I think there's some regression here. I don't know if we're getting back to the defense in 2020 that allowed like what, like 16 points per game, but I still think this is a defense that can get to allowing 2021 per game. And that's probably probably middle tier ish in conference USA or, or maybe a little bit better depending on the game. And I think with that defense and the offense we've seen that can work and I'm, I'm cool with that. So I'll give B minus with, you know, probably a, a B minus projection on where I think the future is heading or B maybe B plus. How about that? Yeah, I would go C plus for this year with a like B plus outlook on what's going forward. Like, I don't think you can go, can go an A for the outlook because like you said, these problems were real. They were not simple, like bad luck. Like they were actual real issues in this defense that they did not have before. Um, there were some good things. Like you said, they definitely like, they got way more turnovers. They got way more pressure on the quarterback. They generally, in general, they they had much more of what Bill, Bill Connolly calls havoc plays, um, which is great. 
Unfortunately, they compensated for that by giving up way more big plays than they had in the past and just generally making more like bad mistakes than they did. So um, I give it a C plus. Um, I think the outlook is still good. I think they still have been steadily upgrading the talent level. And now some of that, the really good classes that they've started to to bring in have not only are not only have been on campus, but are actually upper, actual upperclassmen now. Um, so I think the outlook is still positive. Um, uh, if you can get back to a consistent level of in-conference play, consistently giving up 21 to 24 points a game, I think that's a really good place to be. Rice's overall defensive numbers are never going to look amazing. Like, okay, they were fine in 20, they were great in 2020 because they only were in conference play. Um, even in 2019, I think that defense was really, really great, but their overall numbers for the year weren't fantastic because you still had to play teams like Wake Forest that year. And your Rice is always going to have at least like one team on the schedule, like, you know, Texas or Arkansas, or whoever, who's going to put Lincoln up Lincoln like, Riley's USC. Yeah, that's, that's where I was going with this because <laughs> while you were talking there, I was partially listening to you and partially sort of composing what I was about to say on this. And as I was thinking about what I was going to say, I had a moment where I was like, oh, crap. Rice has to play Lincoln Riley's USC. You don't think that's maybe, gonna be fun? Maybe they won't be like fully fun. I think that's that's the opening game of the season. It right? is the opener, yeah. So maybe that offense won't be like fully functional yet. Uh that's the only hope we have here. But uh yeah, that score is probably not gonna be pretty. But so throw out when they play a power five team or even I don't know, it looks like UH is fully functioning at this point. So if if Yeah, you know, and can we quick aside on that that front? So Arkansas turned out to have their best season since, and when was the last time Arkansas was good? Like, uh, uh, that Ryan Mallet year, maybe? Is, do we got to go back to Darren McFadden, or is that too far? I don't know. I think maybe. that's too far. There, there was, like, one year under Petrino in, like, that's, 2010. That's true. They, Petrino they does like, always have that one year. They won, like, um, 10 games that year, but. Yeah, so Arkansas, best season in a while. Texas, I know they kind of nosedived at the end. Play, you know, to losing to Kansas and whatnot. But at the end of the season, there was no Bijan Robinson uh, playing at the field. Yeah, they lost no. to, to Marvin Overshawn and a couple guys. Uh, we Rice played the best version of Texas, which was which was a lot better than Rice was at the moment when they were kind of going through their quarterback uh, yeah. injury shuffle. So Arkansas, Texas, uh, UTSA was at the the peak. They kind of too petered off a little bit at the end of the season. Uh, Rice early their schedule uh, in Houston is playing in a conference championship this weekend against and low key. This Cincinnati. is not a topic of this podcast. We do not need to go down this tangent. I low key think they're going to knock off Cincinnati, who is uh, and, currently ranked number three in the playoff ranking. So and here's the thing. If Houston beats Cincinnati, Houston will be the best G5 team in the country. So, yes, I'm not excusing getting run 45 to nothing. Well, I guess they lost the Houston game 45 to seven. Right. Yeah. Where, where McCaffrey had that drive where like one every single play drive. was like scrambling for his life and flipping a pass to Jordan Myers, who got like 15 after the catch. He did that all the way down the field. I think a couple of them were like third and long, too. It was great. That one drive. But yeah. So the beginning of the season, Rice got shelled by largely very, very good teams that were very, very better than them. And that's a bummer. But you know, you look at the the season as a whole, uh, let's see, wins over uh, Louisiana Tech, UAB, and Southern Miss. You go three and five in conference. That's 
that's below what we expect, obviously, and we've kind of hashed that out. But I think three and five and hopefully not murderers row. I know next year they also get Louisiana without uh, their head coach, who's off to coach the Florida Gators. And man, we could do an entire podcast on where coaches are and aren't, which is going to be interesting. Yeah. And they get McNeese State, Frank Wilson, Frank Wilson, former UTSA ah, coach, McNeese wow. State. So that'll be interesting. I like that front. Yeah, defense. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, let's take an interlude real quick to special teams because before we get to the offense, because I want to end on a high note on the special teams front, I'm kind of in a full panic. Just <laughs> if I'm being honest. The funny part, and I may have mentioned this before, but like he had a brief stop over it, I guess, Memphis, but Drew Svoboda, who was Rice's special teams coordinator in the past, what, two seasons? Yeah, I think so. um, mm-hmm. Rice's special teams were fantastic during that time. Uh, he is now Alabama's special teams coach. And <laughs> Alabama's special teams have been kind of bad this year. Like, it, <laughs> like I, I don't was get, hoping like, you were going to tell me good news. No? No, like, I, I, I don't know. I think Drew just needs to come back to Rice because... Well, wait, so out. is it kind of bad because it's, it's bad coaching or because Jalen Waddell is no longer returning kicks? Um... They just had some bad, like, I don't know. They've given up some, like, dumb, long returns and stuff that they would not. And, like, just generally had some, like, stupid mistakes on special teams they, like, haven't generally had. Yeah. Well, Sabota is coaching in Alabama. Pete Limbo, who was the – he took the – through the Memphis train as well from Rice to Memphis (laughs) to the SEC. He's at at South Carolina, I believe, still. So – uh, yeah, Rice producing uh, special teams assistance for other uh, SEC schools. But yeah, this was this was not a performance to write home about. Uh, I, I looked and I pulled this up. How many field goals, if you didn't see this, do you think Rice kicked all year, not kicked, made all year that were longer than 30 yards? Oh, I thought you were about to say how many field goals did they make, period, which first will constrain the answer here. The answer to that question is five. I, I, is it five? They made is it only five? five? I didn't want to know that. I am going to keep my attention because I just have Rice's stats pulled up on ESPN right now. I'm going to keep my attention on the left side of the screen and not look at the distances here and guess that Rice maybe made one of those five longer than uh, like 35 yards. Uh, Yes, that was correct. It was one. It was Christian Van Sickle's first ever FBS field goal attempt. Went from 41 yards. That was it. Um, I and and here's the thing. Here's the thing that I just there were snap issues throughout the season. Uh, there were some hold issues. TJ McMahon was the holder all season. There were some holding issues. Uh, there were kicking issues from the kicker missing. You tried two kickers and you still had kickers issue kicker ki- kicker issues. Man, uh, it was it was just it was it was so bad. And maybe I, this is coming off the the great years that we had from Jack Fox and Chris Barnes. Uh, the field goal, Colin Riccatelli had the quadruple doink last year. It'd been, you know, all of like, it's been a while since we've, you know, talked about that. So it just to yeah, rub it in. We, we've hurt ourselves by saying yeah. that. Uh, someone had, had mentioned that to me. I, I was trying to, there was a, a quadruple uh, or a double doink in one of the NFL games a couple weekends ago. And someone said, how unlikely is that? I got a story for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, remember. like Riccatelli last year 
Uh, like, granted, it's not a huge number of attempts, but he, he was fine. nine. He was nine of twelve, and two of the three misses were from longer than forty. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and I he so made, I don't... like the longest one he made that was forty-five, but he kicked it from longer than forty-seven times, and he made five of those. That Which is phenomenal. Is, yeah, yeah, that's that. great. College kickers. <laughs> that's great. So they they got to they got to figure something out. I I don't like they had some some kicks blocked. Um, well, they had some punts blocked. Did they have a kick blocked? Uh, trying to oh, I don't actually remember. I don't think so. I don't not off the top of my head. So there were some issues there. The 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 field goal kicking apparatus gets an F and period the end. Um I thought the the kick return and the punt return units, I, I you know, they did pretty good. I thought I thought coverage was fine as well. That big kickoff that Jumo Taviano had against UAB to to start them up and set them up to score, I think was huge. They needed that that score to kind of get rolling. I don't Rice very well might not have won the game had they not been set up in golden field position and gotten that first score. So that was huge. Uh, Sean Fresh, the punt return he had against Louisiana Tech that mm-hmm. saved them, and that was that was when the offense. TJ McNan had not pulled off all his theatrics yet, and we weren't sure that we were just going to march down the field. So setting them up in the red zone was huge. Uh, return and, and coverage units were, were were fine. I Those are the two that you kind of only really notice on the outlier place, like where things yeah. were really, really right or really, really wrong. And there weren't, I can't really think of many outlier plays there. So that was fine. Uh, punting, uh, I think Charlie Mendez was fine. Um, there were probably, there was a span where he had a couple, maybe a, a, a bad kick, like a shank out of bounds kind of sorts, uh, probably three weeks in a row or something, or it felt like that. It was, and to be fair, he was probably being asked to punt way too many times, which a billion times you'll kick some bad ones. I thought he had a couple bad kicks, uh, by and large, I, he was not the issue on special teams. He was pretty good. He had, he had some solid outings. And uh, he is, I guess he's a, a redshirt freshman, technically. Is that yeah. right? Or is he a sophomore? So, yeah, I don't I don't have any problems, any concerns with with Mendez. I thought he was he did a good job when he was called upon for the most part. And if you're if you're boiling down the failures of your season on our, you know, redshirt freshman punter only averaged 42 yards per punt instead of 49. Uh, let me tell you something. You're you're wrong. So. And so yeah. maybe as I talk myself, F for the field goal team and a B minus to B for everything else. So maybe in total they get a D. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, for if, if we lump uh, just lump punting and then the returns and coverage units, everything but place kicking all together, I'd give that like a solid B. And then uh, place kicking gets an F. So I don't know purely average that out maybe like a c minus which is good if we gave the defense a c plus the defense was better than the special teams yeah so or at least played more of a hand in winning games so okay and now the offense we are carter we are ending our string of units on the offense because they are the good news yeah pinch me (laughs) um it was so weird. Like, it was not – they had several guys at basically every position have really good moments. 
there was never like like I was actually thinking earlier, like I think there's an obvious answer, but like when we do the Roosies next week and we have to do like offensive MVP, I was so, like, who is the so I'll spo- I'll I'll peek behind the curtain. When I was putting together the more traditional superlatives, I've already started. I got I got defensive newcomer of the year written out and done. Uh, I got uh, what seven more, six more to go. I I had real I had it was very easy for for some of the the newcomer pieces. When I got to uh, players of the year for the offense and newcomers of the year, I I had to think a good amount because, like you were mentioning, I'm like, well, this guy had two games. This guy Cam Montgomery had one play. Well, 1.5 if you count the touchdown. Uh, yeah. What was that? The the North Texas game that got called back because he ran out of bounds. But I felt like there were there were nine or ten Cam Montgomerys that had that play. Oh yeah, that, that well, game. Like, think about just the wide receivers. There were probably at least three wide receivers. I might be forgetting someone, but I think it's probably three who had stretches of the season where they looked fantastic. And then stretches of the season where they utterly disappeared. Like there were points. Jake Bailey at- slow start while August Pete was sh- shattering SEC defenses. Yeah, and then like, Pete disappeared for a while, and in the middle of the season, Bailey was fantastic. And then back to back was- 143 yard games. On yeah. The dot. <laughs> and then uh, was he hurt this past week? He's been yeah. out, right? He he got hit pretty hard in the. The second to last, well, that last game against UTEP, um, which was not even reviewed for a targeting call, which I'm not going to complain about officiating. It's just tired. But I was like, how do you not even look at that? Bizarre. He got knocked out of the game with that hit and he didn't look at it. But yeah, so he was out. So it was basically the the August Pete and said Patterson show and yeah. said Patterson. He kind of came in and we were like, oh, this guy can run really fast. And the, the play he made on the game-winning touchdown pass had a guy draped all over him and fought through contact to make the catch on a ball that was, you know, not quite perfect because McMahon was also being hit while he threw it. That was just – that was a grown man catch. Yeah, they had – so they had three different wide receivers who all were just, like, dominant for at least parts of the season. Never all at the same time, and Brad Rosner never even played. Aside, sorry, he had one catch on the first drive, and then immediately. Oh, that, yeah, that. that's right. It was like a twenty-yard catch or something like that. And then yeah. the running backs were the same, the same way. It was yeah, yep. the beginning of the year. It was the Kalen Griffin was like, did he start on opening day? I think he did. I think so. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he got the bulk of the snaps at least. And then he kind of fell out of favor, and it was Jordan Myers, and Jordan Myers had the 160 all purpose. No, 160 rushing yard, four touchdown. Was it 200 all purpose? Or was it one? It was 120 rushing, 40 receiving. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he had the four touchdown game. And then he kind of gave way to Ari Broussard, who gave way to Cam Montgomery. Who everybody had their set of two or three games or their very. And hey, the goal. quarterbacks were the same way. This is terrifying. It was like you had. Like you could have made three different like rice offenses almost so, out of the season with like signature school players. So like at the beginning of the year, you had the like uh, like the Wiley Green, August P, uh, Kalen Griffin offense. In the middle of the season, you had the Jake Constantine, Jordan Meyer, Jake Constantine, Jordan Meyer slash Ari Broussard and Jake Bailey offense. And then I guess at the very end of the season, you had the uh, 
the McMahon, Patterson, Montgomery offense. So as we're kind of talking through this. And they were all reasonably okay. Yeah. Sometimes better than that. But here's the thing. We have spent three years under this coaching staff begging for a reasonably okay offense. Yeah, that's the wild part. They like, they did it this year with, like you're talking about, three different is, – is it a case that we are understating how good this – maybe not was because with all of the changeover, it was impossible for them to truly kind of reach their, their peak of firing on all cylinders. But as we're talking through this, shoot, if they can build an offense that score – they had 20-plus a game for their final six games – and they hadn't hit that mark of 20, 20 in a row. I think 20 points or more in a row. I think their first, the last, only other time they've done that under Bloomgren was the first three games of the 2018 season, which included that, that Prairie View game. So an FCS opponent in there. They hadn't done that three, three straight games against FBS opponents. They did six in a row. Uh, it might have yeah. been three or four. I might have to go back and double check that to be sure. But yeah, so the offense was as good as we've ever seen with the least amount of consistency of parts available. Yeah. And like, to be clear, that is an extremely low bar to clear in terms of, uh, you know, passing a clearing a level for what we've seen from offense under this staff. But the fact that they raised the level of the offense while having no consistency at any position outside of the offensive line, which, the offensive line had its own share of shuffling and was at no point better than adequate, I would say. Yeah, um, they lost their starting center like a couple games into the year and lost had a couple games where they had tackles that were out. It was just it was not. And I guess maybe that's all things considered, that might be one of the healthier. That, only yeah, one that, was more, down. that was more consistent in terms of player availability than everywhere else on offense. So like. I I don't know. I, I don't want to like overstate and be like, wow, what like what a good offense this was. It was not a good offense by by college football standards, but it was a lot better than what we've seen in previous seasons, which uh, is might be damning with faint praise. So but, um, and, and here's the the I think that and we're going to we will have a whole offseason to opine about the possibilities of this offense. And I, I think we'll get there and we'll fall in love with the everything these athletes can do once again. But kind of our 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 selling point going into the season for me was you have Brad Rosner, you have Jake Bailey, you have Luke McCaffrey, you have Jordan Myers, you have all of these athletes. And clearly because of the talent, it's going to work. And the talent wasn't available this year, like not not together, not consistently. The reason this offense was good, I I, I think OC, uh, new OC, Marquez Tuiasopo deserves. Um, if we're handing out game balls, I'm giving him a game ball. Yeah, uh, no, I, I was about to say my ultimate takeaway here is say whatever you want about, you know, if you if you have criticisms of the rest of this staff, uh, there are plenty of fair ones. Although, again, I think we said plenty of times that Brian Smith probably deserves a mulligan for this season. Uh, but my my big takeaway here is uh, Tui deserves a raise because he made uh, a considerably improved product from previous years with nothing in terms of personnel consistency, which is yeah, and I mean, very and I, I some uh, you know some credit deserving to Bloomgren because I think this year you saw him in, in previous years past it was you know. Jerry Mack is the offensive coordinator, but the Bloomgren influence of how we're going to 
how we're going to call this game was like it never really felt like I don't know if you go never really felt like a Jerry Mack offense like there yeah, were yeah there was, was no very... spread concept there were some a little bit of an RPO kind of when they ran out of quarterbacks but it was Bloomgren's offense and this year you could see like the the string of fourth downs conversions that they had with the jumbo package which I I I I love that's great what what did they did they convert nine in a row no it was nine in a row in two games was, did they get to 11 yeah i think i want to say they got they got to at least 10 before the streak was ended i think it was uh, 11 in a row yeah, but yeah so bloomgren kind of taking his hands off a little bit and and i remember this because in the 2020 season i believe they lined up an empty with no backs in the backfield twice in five games both of those penalties were are both of those penalties. Both of those plays were called back by a penalty. So no official plays run last season, I believe, with an empty set. And they ran empty <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Uh, like, lot. like I think I said this earlier in the season, but Bloom does deserve some credit for it's not easy for a coach who is used to like having his hand on the steering wheel on one side of the ball to essentially take that off and say, okay, new coordinator. You are running this, and I am going to let you do your thing. Um, and Bloom did that this year. And and one of the things I've always said, and I'm, I'm sorry to put my Alabama fan hat on again, but one of the things I've always said about Nick Saban is that the thing that makes him the best, besides being the fanatical recruiter that he is, and that's probably the biggest thing, but the thing that makes him last where other great coaches who have been at the top of the sport have not is his willingness to change and adapt with the times. And that is not easy for a lot of coaches to do. It's harder than it seems like it should be, quite frankly. Um, so I always want to give coaches credit when they are willing to make changes, especially to things that are sort of near and dear to their football backgrounds. So, you know, I think there are still obviously plenty of legitimate criticisms of the staff. And I think we are in now in, um, and we've now run, about an hour here so we'll probably have to save the talking about the uh outlook for the coaching staff and everything that bloomberg coming back means for next time but um you know if we weren't in put up or shut up time coming into this season we are definitely in, in it now and and going into the 2022 season it's got to be like you better make a dang bowl at this point like it's 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 time to put things together but I do think he deserves a, a, a pretty help, a pretty healthy amount of credit for this season on that front of being willing to say, I had, I was controlling the offense. The offense was not working. Let me give control of that primarily to someone else. And it worked. Yeah. And, and for the record, uh, you know where Mike Bloomgren's uh, first stint as a, as a college GA before he, uh, began his his climb up the coaching ranks was as Alabama uh, yeah he, Alabama. he predated uh, Nick Bose, Saban I believe yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, this was right. like 2001 or something like that yeah yeah but yeah 2000 2001 somewhere that would have been right yeah because that was a couple years pre-Saban so no Saban crossover yet but hey if I were a coach and this were my profession and you said something complimentary in any way and tied me to Nick Saban I would take it I don't really <laughs> care you know what it is even if you just i said rat poison like nick saban did once um which i guess uh marshall head coach is, is still doing which 
I don't get. Um, but is what it is. Yeah. Um, we we can save the the bulk of the the coaching kind of stuff for next time if we want. I did want to hit because I don't think we've mentioned it. We haven't, we haven't been on in, in uh, I guess sometime. Uh, Bloomgren retained is coming back for the 2020. Two season, I, I will have a little bit up. Uh, I will teaser. I did sit down uh, with Joe Carlgard earlier uh, this week and kind of sat down and kind of spent a, a good chunk of time with him, just kind of talking through that decision, uh, why it was right to to stick with Bloom, uh, what kind of went into that, and kind of what factors the they kind of discussed and, and what the outlook kind of going forward is from that. So that'll be our our. Uh, our, our tease for the little bit, I'll probably should have that up. Uh, we'll see next week or so as kind of I can pe- pe- parse through my notes and get to. But yeah, there will be some conversation there. Bloom will be back, which means we'll have some continuity, so more to talk to. We we won't get bored. We never do with Rice football, like we mentioned. It'll be it'll be a strange off season. I have no doubt. As strange as the real season was, but yeah, overall. Oh wait, I, grades offense. Uh, Oh yeah, um, I'd say A minus. Uh, I'm gonna go with B, with the um, understanding that that was uh, happening with one hand tied behind your back in terms of personnel the whole time. That's um, that's why I, I give it an A minus because expectations were if I if you would have told me that this was the offense that they would consistently by the time they got up and running score. 20 points a game with a couple 30 point outings. I would say, yes, great. I'm yeah, I would, I would love that. Great. And they did that with three different quarterbacks uh, and half a receiving core and no running back room by the end of the year. So yeah, if you, if I were to curve the grade here for, oh, I'm totally, um, I'm totally curving based on yeah. the offense we've seen over the past four, three years. Well, yeah. And, or, and even if I were to, to just curve for the fact that the, personnel was uh, particularly a quarterback was such a mess the whole time like um then that definitely bumps up to an a but on on just like a pure like where did we want it to get to this season and where where did it get to i would say like bb plus which is again considering the circumstances pretty pretty fantastic so if you boil those together and you get a you wait these out let's see we'll call it an a minus b plus for the offense, we gave the defense like a what we'll call a C plus ish, yeah. and the defense a D. So all of those together, you get a a C grade for the season, which is not something that you go tell your parents when they how the <laughs> test go. It was, yeah. it was fine. Um, did you get a good grade? Oh, okay, uh, but you didn't fail. <laughs> yeah. So, and and maybe I. We'll we'll save that into maybe that can be our future discussion. But yeah, disappointing season. Got to four wins, not six, not good. But overall, when you talk about the product on the field, and maybe that's that's what it is, kind of sustainability going into the future. A, a lot of this, I, the special teams. I want to, I want answers. I don't, what what are they tangibly going to do to get better and change? But the rest of it, I we saw things that has me optimistic going into the off season, which means by the time I get to spring ball. I'll be like, yeah, they can do this. And by the time we get to September, we're like, they got this championship. Here we go. That's that's the cycle, right? We just ride it all the way along. Yeah. So you can say now you're crazy, but we'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's it. That was uh, a lot for us this week. We'll uh, follow up with 
uh, our roosties, and so we'll talk about the outlook for the coaching staff next week, uh, and we'll uh, carry you into another offseason of these next couple of weeks. So uh, thanks, thanks for sticking us sticking with us through this weird season. Uh, got a couple more things, uh, but then we'll we'll be wrapping it up this month for this season. So thanks for sticking with us and rise fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.